0: <laughs> Tomoto hey, Shots everybody Ringo here you go. Beautiful day in LA <laughs> Talk, motor,
1: chat, So
2: Hi, 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 hey, hey, and welcome to another edition of Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles videocast. This is a bi-weekly show that we do every other Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube channel. And here on this show, we talk almost on every single program about the solo careers of the Beatles, their history, their music, songs, albums, you name it. I'm Ken Michaels, one of the four regular co-hosts of this show. Hopefully you're familiar with my radio program that's been on the radio for 41 years on The Beatles called Every Little Thing. I also am involved with another Beatles talk show podcast called Things We Said Today. And I have my own YouTube channel, which is uh, just exclusive Beatle content that you'll find on there called Ken Michaels Radio. And I'm being joined by my regular co-hosts on the show. First of all, a woman who's known as The Queen, and she is of Beatles social media. She is the author of the fine book, Songs Who Were Singing Guided Tours Through the Beatles' Lesser Known Tracks. Also Michael Jackson, FAQ, All This Left to Know About the King of Pop. And uh, this fine book right here that she collaborated on with Ken Womack, Beatles scholar, and one of the best Beatles authors going. Mm-hmm. And she is a regular contributor to Beatles fan magazine. You see her all the time on panel discussions at the Fest for Beatles fans. And that's our own kiddo tool. Hi, Kit.
3: Hi, Ken. Hello, everybody. And uh, this is going to be a very special show tonight. So, very it's, excited.
2: We're covering a very special album.
3: And Indeed. We've all said
2: in the past here on this show how much we've enjoyed this album. We have Tom Hunyadi with us. He is one half of the team, along with Annie Nichols, of the Paul McCartney, the solo Paul McCartney podcast, called Two Legs and... Every week, he's cranking out the shows with some aspect of Paul McCartney's career. Hello, Tom. Hello, Ken, Kit, Joe,
1: and our special guests. Um, Can't wait to get this one started.
2: It's going to (laughs) be fun. And of course, we have Joe Mayo with us. He has the very popular Mean Mr. Mayo channel, where he talks about the Beatles all the time. All kinds of things in pop culture. He even does a lot of shows on movies as well. And uh, welcome Joe, of course, to the program. Thanks, Ken, hello Kit, hello Tom, and
4: hello Mark. It's a pleasure having you here, Mark. Thank you.
2: And uh, with Ringo Starr just celebrating his birthday, we thought we should do something special for Ringo. And uh, we always talk about anniversaries here on this show. We know the Ringo album from 1973 has a 50th anniversary coming up in November. But then back in March, The Ringo Rama album had its 20th anniversary. So we thought, why not invite Mark Hudson who produced the album with Ringo and was so involved with all the songs, co-writing with Ringo, playing on all the songs to invite us to our show. Um, Mark has had an incredible career. You know him all the way back to his days with the Hudson brothers. He's had a successful career as a producer, producing acts like um, Ozzy Osbourne, Aerosmith, Cher, Hanson, and of course, Ringo Storm. We are more than pleased and honored to have him on our show. Welcome, Mark Hudson, to Talk More Talk. Hi, everybody. This is the album, as Kit was holding up. This one's signed by Ringo, actually. This is the deluxe edition right here. Yeah. Uh, Ringo Rama. Yeah. And... Um, for you, uh, Mark, you may not be familiar with our show, but we're all going to ask you questions. We're going to go around like a round table here and ask you questions about the album. But before we do, why don't you just tell the folks how you came to work with Ringo? Did you know him back in the days when you were in L.A., where you also hung out with John Lennon? Because I yeah. know John was aware of you. Yes. Mark's bro- uh, not the Marx Brothers. <laughs> Didn't he say you were the Marx Brothers? <laughs> yes, Most- <laughs> Um, but you're not- ahead of myself. <laughs> you know, don't was he, Ringo aware of uh, the Hudson Brothers? When
5: yeah, he-, he was, and I knew him when he had a permanent. So if you look back at the <laughs> Ringo pictures when he had the curly hair, yeah, oh yeah, I knew him, and he knew us. But it was never anything musical. He was a Beatle. I was a drummer in the Hudson Brothers, and I only learned to play drums watching and listening to Ringo Starr. Mm-hmm. So all of his stuff, I, I wasn't like Vinnie Caluda or the guy in Rush, you know, Uh uh-huh. It was Ringo-esque. Uh-huh. It's that great stuff. Mm-hmm. I That's know. What by the way,
2: yeah, how the Ed Sullivan Show and their appearances, you know, changed your life as it did for so many other people,
5: millions of people. And I had written a song called "The Artist." And you know, John Lennon was my biggest inspiration. And this song called The Artist was kind of Lennon-esque. And Ringo heard it and said, oh, he kind of sounds like John. Maybe I could write with that guy. And I got the phone call, you want to write with Ringo? And I went, no, I'm working with Menudo now. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Absolutely. He came to my studio and my studio is like a, a Beatle museum. And we wrote a song. And he really had fun because it was more, you know, Ringo's not one of those hip guys that has the yo cats playing. He was in a band. And 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 he loved the fact that my studio, it was a little band. And he felt comfortable playing there. So we did a song, a uh, couple of songs. I think King of Broken Hearts was one of them. And then he said to me, you know, if ever, I said, you know, Ringo, if ever you make a record, you should probably try to get, you know, George Martin to do this. And he goes, if I make a record, it's only going to be with you.
0: Uh-huh.
5: And never in my life, for the first time ever, till this day, one guy stood up for me and it was Ringo Starr who went to the label and said, I'll make a record, but I'll make it with that bastard. He didn't want to know about the other. He wanted to make it with me. And he stood up and said, I was going to be the producer. And that was the beginning of that relationship and my joy forever. Mm. Because of that. Imagine that, him standing up going, I want that guy and nobody else. I was pretty Pretty blessed, very grateful. And I worked my way down to being somewhere between the ninth or eighth Beetle. So, <laughs> I was working down for millions and I, I kept getting closer and closer.
2: But mm. or nine- <laughs> uh, first of all, I have to apologize. I've had a lot of problems with my camera here. So if I cut out, I'm just gonna keep trying to get back in. But um, that was really wonderful of Ringo to stick up for you that way. Um, it usually doesn't happen
5: just so that you'll know in so many other instances it doesn't happen either the record label says you're working with him you're working with them or the guy goes i want to get a giant producer and blah 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 right and said me pretty lucky
2: and Ringo's in a position where he could command a lot of big name producers too so oh gosh but you know a lot of times they don't
5: do that i think i think he felt comfortable I think it was sort of going backwards a little bit because it wasn't like yo cats with people rubbing our necks and people delivering food it was guys in above a thai food restaurant playing music in this little room and i think he loved that and i think that was the attraction
2: i think he talked about that when choose love came out he loved that yeah. it was recorded in a small room everybody sweating you know yeah, real it was horrible, was no air conditioning He suggested
5: that we work in a thong, but that was too much. (laughs) That's just his sense of
2: humor. He didn't really mean it. (laughs) Can you explain, um, at this time in his career, you know, Ringo is so used to having success, the incredible success with the Beatles, the first five years of his solo career, and then the hits dried up and the albums weren't selling like they used to be. He released what we all here on this show consider a great album time takes time in 1992 yeah. and that album didn't go anywhere what was his I, state of mind when he worked with like, you he think- I, I worked
5: on that album by the way yeah i know bill mm. bone, who was my teacher mm. taught me how to produce i i got to work on that record with Ringo, but i think because it was multiply produced Don was, Jeff Lynn, Peter Asher. I don't know who the guys were. I, I don't think, I think Ringo needs that solid guidance of music like George Martin, mm. or like, like Richard Perry, whatever it would be. And I think he missed that on that record. Um, it's always about the songs, right. you know? That's the other real important thing as a songwriter it's got to be about the songs first and then the musicians second. It's true. I mean, you can replace Ringo Starr on drums, but I can get you 17 guitar players that can play really great mm-hmm. or a bass player, mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I think that he likes a core of people to be there because that's where he's comfortable,
2: just like he was with the boys, you know. So when you started working with him on Vertical Man, was there a mindset of I got to have a comeback or was he more concerned about just putting out music that he was happy with?
5: No, you know what, I mean, I think, I think when the dry
2: period happened, there was other
5: ingredients that made that not work. And because I was such a Beatle fan, and I studied them,
0: Hmm.
5: knowing stuff, I made him feel comfortable like John used to make him feel comfortable. With a little help from my friends, that big note, John was out there going, yeah, and he was like faking it. And Ringo loves that. And I think in Vertical Man, we became a family. And I think he, he loved doing that. And so many people are on it. George Harrison, Paul McCartney, the list goes on and on. Alanis Morris said, huge humans. And, and when you're a Beatle, you know, there was one of the songs called Without Understanding. Right. And you no good vibrations. And he went, oh, it'd be great if I can get Brian to come down. He picks up the phone and he calls Brian Wilson. And Brian Wilson comes to my studio and sang the background on that. And, 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 and Brian is genius, but has his own way of working. He walked in and said, you're very peppy. You take pills? I went, no, no, I don't. He goes, Before we start, can I have a Perrier and a coffee? And I'm like, Sure. So I said to the second engineer, Go get a Perrier and a coffee. He brings it back, and Brian Wilson goes, I hate Perrier and I can't drink coffee. And Ringo looked at me like, It's going to be a long day. But after he heard the song, it, it clicked in. I saw, it. I'm a big boy freak. If you get backing vocals, if you get Beach Boys and Freddie Mercury, a little Crosby, Stills and Nash and the Beatles. There's nothing better than that. Hmm. And it clicked in and he went, give me 16 tracks, 16 tracks. And I'm making notes of everything that he's doing. No vibrato. You're not allowed to sing with vibrato unless you're the lead singer. Hey, 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 hey. And within 20 minutes, he sang this body of background that was just like stunning. And he said, and every track, every vocal track gets four tracks. And he said, the reason of that is because when you see a wavelength, it usually does this, but if you do four of them, it becomes so big, it becomes a thick cluster of sound. And I'm going, oh, I can be hit by a truck now. Here I am with a beetle and a beach boy, (laughs) doesn't get any better. And at the end of the thing, Brian Wilson went, Hey, Ringo, this is great. A Beach Boy and a Beatle in the room. Can I get a copy? And as he finished the word copy, Ringo went, No, like shouted it. And he yeah.
4: I got to go to supper.
5: And he walked out and turned left and went to dinner. Not Ringo, Brian Wilson. <laughs> it was magical. That record brought him back. The record brought him back into wanting to record again. Hmm. Hmm. It, it was the important part. He wanted to start making music all over again. Because he had. So.
0: It was good. Mm-hmm.
2: And we've noticed, I mean, like I mentioned, Time Takes Time, a lot of effort was put into quality songs. Yep. And then once you started working with Vertical Man and then and then uh, Ringo Rama, I Want to Be Santa Claus, thank you for helping us. <laughs> the only Beatle to play out a Christmas album, legitimately. Yep um and uh choose love the songs are strong on all of them that's the one thing that you take away because the the emphasis is on how strong the song is melodically lyrically and and songs that work for ringo yeah, absolutely they've got to fit they have to fit his style and his voice
5: and because i was such a beatle freak i would always i always knew what he was singing with them mm. so ear the the keys to be a comfortable place that he could handle. And and it became easy and and, pr- and pretty weird because now and then he would do a Beatle thing on the drums and just look at me like, I bet you don't know that one. I went, of course, that's the beginning of Glass Onion. You bastard. Like I, I knew all all of his stuff I knew. and And he goes, you know more about me than I do.
2: <laughs> the truth. Which is possible. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. All right. Um, one more question before I pass you over to Kit. But uh, I think for many of us that look at these albums that you worked on with Ringo, every single song, there's multiple songwriters. Ringo, Mark Hudson, Gary Burr, Steve Dudas, Dean Grakal. Um, when you have so many songwriters, what is what is the function of each one of them is there any set formula in the way that you guys wrote together? And no, we we no wrote way. we wrote
5: like a band. And it wasn't a matter of everyone having an equal say. Ringo had the say. Mm-hmm. I was second in command. There's a few there that like for love are just Ringo and I, and Christmas Eve is just Ringo and I. In fact, Vertical Man, it has Ozzy Osbourne on it. But mm-hmm. when we're sitting in the studio, Ringo has that theory of we're all here, write a word, get a third, as we would say. And it's like, spread the wealth because the joy is what was really important. Mm-hmm. But it really, it wasn't like, you know, Beyonce now has nine writers on right. every, you know, and I, I don't even know what that is. And some of the stuff in our case, when guys were credited, didn't, you know, they, they might've said, a preposition, and then I, okay, you're in. But usually the concept, you know, why am I wrong all the time was Ringo, instant amnesia. He. he, he just like in the Beatles, Been a hard day's night or eight days, whatever the stuff that he would come up with, he did the same with us. And it was pretty inspiring when he would say this stuff and then we just would write a song around it. And it was fun. And and easy, really.
0: He's mm-hmm.
5: easy to
2: write for. So you coming up with songs that, that became the song titles. Oh, God, yeah. A lot. I think there was one song when
5: stripping uh, uh, on My Own Tears. Mm-hmm. And we were in a meeting. And some guy said, I cried so hard I was tripping on my own tears and Ringo looked at me and I looked at him and, there was so I kind of like wrote it on my hand and there becomes a title of a song right. instant amnesia w- w- came from Ringo because he-, he was going through a spot where he goes like oh I don't like how I drum anymore You know, it's, it's all the same and, and he went to lunch but when he said that to me that triggered me Really, you're the greatest drummer in rock, in pop. It's you, your Ringo Starr. So I said, let's write something that really kicks ass. And and instant amnesia almost has a Zeppelin feel to it. Made his drum sound off, and he came in and played drums like he was twenty. And and that became something that that turned him on because he got pushed, lightly, not heavy, just sort of, are you kidding? You're Ringo Starr, don't be crazy. Oh yeah, and next thing you know, when he heard the music, he sat down and I could see it in
2: his face. And then he just started playing, and it was heaven. Mm. Heaven, one of my favorite tunes. And Mm. for me, and for probably a lot of people watching this right now, I wish he did more songs like that.
5: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you you know, me too, I mean, I think, I think things have changed a little bit now because, you know, I'm really an old school guy. I don't want to fall into computers and auto-tune and everything's moved on the grid and that. And a lot of times that's easier, but I actually enjoyed the work, the work part of it. Mm -hmm. I loved was the work And, and so did he. And that that I'll carry with me for the rest of my
2: life. There's a body of work here that you should be so proud of, Mark. Thank (laughs) you. you. So many times I've said best albums that Ringo's done, the Ringo album, Time Takes Time, and then Vertical Man. (laughs) And and Choose Love. You know, that's what it is for me. And I do like a lot of what he did after that. but. just in terms of the strength of the songs and the consistency of the quality of the songs and i think that the chemistry between you know you guys and the roundheads was just so perfect for Ringo. Yeah, well you know what we were all beetle fans mm.
5: and we approached him as if we were pretend Beatles. Mm. you know and and that's the the weird thing with going to paul's house and me singing background with him Mm. would always pretend that I was John and one of my brothers was Paul but there I am going and I look over and right next to me is Paul McCartney thank God I was wearing brown pants
2: yeah okay well we're going to follow that with uh, Kit
3: (laughs) that's a hard hard (laughs) act to follow let me tell you um (laughs) But, but other things you said are, are uh, a good uh, lead into what I was going to ask you about when you talked about the work and, and uh, you know, crafting the album. One of the things that, that really has always struck me about Ringo Rama is the, you know, the overall sound of it, um, that from the very first track, uh, Eye to Eye, there's such a uh, you know it's a harder edged album not every single song on it but uh, but you know it's the the mix on it the sound on it I mean it is just it just comes to the speakers at you I mean it's just really you know I this is not a technical term but in your face I mean it it really is
5: I mean I I, loved that approach and I actually think you know Ringo would complain than the early Beatle records because everything was like bounced down, you know, I never heard me drums, because by the time it got, the basic tracks got bounced down so much that the drums got quieter. And remember, I was a drummer. So the louder the drums, the happier I was. And I made sure that on that record, especially, that I really let him be prominent, which forced the band to play with the energy that you're talking about. That aggressive, edgy would be a good word. And not every song, but still,
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and so that was, that's what I was going to ask you about. There is this, this, you know, a bit of a harder edge to this album. And so that was, was that something that, you know, that was intentional yes. from Vertical we, Man?
5: Yes. We actually consciously tried to make it, it was the you know, same players again. So it became more comfortable and then we could push the envelope to have it have more edge and still be safe within that. And that's, it was a conscious thing that we did. No question yep. about it.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yep. And that, that leads me to, and you've already talked about it a bit, but I, I did have to ask you about instant amnesia because I just think that is one of the, you know, riskiest and greatest songs that Ringo has ever done. I mean, I, and, and as you said, Ken, I wish you had, you had done more. I, I, I just you know, love I mean, the it. Thing, it was
5: yeah. interesting because that, Whole middle section that sounds like he's playing vibes. That's Ringo playing drums that were tuned into vibes. Mm. It wasn't Lionel Hampton. It was Ringo and Charlie
3: Hayden, the great
5: jazz bass player. I and, was going to
3: ask you about that. How did Charlie Hayden get it, get involved in this?
5: Charlie Hayden was, I'm sober, I had 21 years no drinking and drugging. And the late, great Charlie Hayden was in the rooms. And I phoned him up. And I figured, you know, when you can use the Beatle card as a weapon, they're always going to answer you. Charlie, yes, yeah, solid. Jackson, listen, I know this sounds really strange, but I would love you to come and play on Ringo's record. Ringo, what time do you need me there? One o'clock. <laughs> solid, Jackson. Charlie <laughs> Hayden,
0: uh,
5: it's good to use the Beatle card when you can. <laughs>
3: Oh, but it's, it's just such a, a fascinating song because it goes, when you said Led Zeppelin, I thought, yes, that's exactly what I thought. It goes from Led Zeppelin to jazz, to psychedelic rock. I mean, how I know. How did this come about? I well, mean, you know, you know, how did you the, do
5: this? The, the key to that, you know, like I'm a nice bunch of guys. So, you know, my head's like a bad neighborhood. You should never go in there alone. <laughs> because I, I, I think about this stuff and I would bring it up and look, Ringo's a beetle. You know, tomorrow never knows, like for the first drum boom, chop, da da So experimental, he was teaching me how to be experimental. So when it came to instant amnesia, I wasn't afraid. So let's make it heavy so you can really play those drums loud. And then let's kind of get fruity and jazzy and you can do that thing. And then the psychedelic ending was like, we all took LSD and just flew to another universe. But we loved it. It was great. I love that song.
3: Yeah. yeah some great, I mean, great,
5: great drumming on there for Ringo on that one. Yeah. No, I know. And that was the one when he said before he went to lunch, Oh, I'm not a good drummer anymore. It's all the same. And I've been doing it so long. Really? He said that to me. He went to lunch and I went, Oh, no, you don't, Mr. Starkey. Mm. And
0: that's
5: what he came back and said, Sit down and play that. And he heard the groove and then just went off. I didn't have to say, it was the easiest job producing him because I never really had to say too much. He was the best guy for playing a song than any musician I've ever worked with. Mm. He knows he play the song. And that's what he did on that. And to me, it's one of the drumming performances ever.
3: That's actually what I was going to, another question I wanted to ask you because you mentioned that uh, in an interview that one of the reasons Ringo... The favorite drummer is that he knew how to play the song. What What did you mean well, by that?
5: It, because you know, it's like I, w- when we got close enough, I could go down the Beatles street a little bit and get answers. And I said to him, you know, because I studied him as a drummer, and I would say, "How did you come up with that?" And he goes. Well, I just play the backbeat, and when they would shut up, I'd do a drum fill. There it is. He stayed out of the way. It wasn't like more of me. Let me paradiddle and do drums. He just like nothing you can do that can't be done. Dum dum da dum, dum. He just stayed there, right with the song. But then when he would add the drum fill, that's when you oh. go And because he's a left-handed drummer playing a right-handed kit. He would always lead his fills with his left hand because he was left handed. Because usually you're playing, t- t- and the right hand is the one that leads your drum fill. He would lead his drum fill with the left hand. And that's why his stuff had its own thing that's very, very difficult for people to recreate. Mm-hmm. That simple. Wow. And during the uh, during the one album, we were at Abbey Road with George Martin and they were playing, you remember the the, uh, the Cirque du Soleil thing where they're using different parts of the record. And we were sitting there and I hear these drums and I go, wow, those are the drums from Maxwell Silver Hammer. And Ringo went, no, they're not. Go, yeah, they are. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. And then George Martin turned around and goes, Richard, he's right. And Ringo looked at me. And then another one comes up and he goes, well, that's not the guitar part. That, it's under Bulldog. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. And it's like three times. And every time George Martin turned around, go Richard, he's right. Ringo then grabbed his drumsticks and signed them to me, and he goes, here, don't sell them at Sotheby's, you bastard, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because he knew I was such a fan. Mm. All of his drum, new.
3: Oh, mm. the, the, oh. Oh, that's great! It's uh, weird working with
5: weird working with someone that you love. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a weird thing because he could almost not do anything wrong. Like whenever I'd wear a kilt, and because I, I played bass on all that stuff, I, my inner McCartney and some piano stuff. But I'd be wearing a kilt, and he'd go, Ma, keep your legs closed." Like that was a big thing for him, <laughs> telling me close my legs. Okay. So I did. He's a Beatle. Who wouldn't?
3: Ringo. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we move on, there's a a viewer question I want to mention, because I had the same question. Uh, What was it like in the studio recording Never Without You? Uh, Because, boy, that's an emotional experience just listening to it. I can't imagine what it was like just you know, being there, I mean, what, what was it like? It was um, it was a rough one
5: on him. You know, uh, Gary Nicholson in Natural and myself and Ringo wrote the song. But we had to sort of stay out of the lyric because the lyric meant so much to him about his dear friend. And when we cut the track, Ringo would get too emotional so he couldn't singing. So I became stunt Ringo. We were young because I could kind of do his voice and I became pretend Ringo. So the song came was coming out beautiful and Ringo says again, it'd be great to get Eric to come down and play. And I want to go, oh yeah, sure, I have his number. Yeah, right. But <laughs> Village, in Surrey, there was a little store and I went to buy some chips and drinks for the boys and standing in line is Eric Clapton with milk and eggs and I, I think when I actually saw him I made a noise like ah, because I couldn't believe Eric Clapton was shopping. Do You always think when you're that famous you have someone named Shecky or Murray buying your groceries. He was there with a, a carton and I figured I better go up there. Now you have to understand this face can be pretty scary and I walked up to him and said like Eric, my name is Mark Hudson. And he's kind of like stepping back like this guy is crazy. And we're like, I'm producing Ringo down the street. And we wrote a song for George Harrison and he'd love you to come, and, to come and play on it. And he goes, hmm, okay. I run home. Ringo, you running to Eric Clapton and he's gonna come and play. And Ringo calls him. Eric Clapton shows up, not with an entourage, not with a roadie, lifts up his trunk, there's his guitar and his fender tweed, bringing it in himself and sitting down. And I can't, I can't believe it's like Eric clapped. So Ringo goes, let's play the song. He plays them the song and they both get a little teary-eyed because they both love George so much. And Eric went, Ringo, great vocal. And Ringo said, it's not me, it's Moloch. <laughs> and, and, Clapton looked at me and I went, is it because Ringo got the he goes, and I go ahead, Mark does all four of us. Go ahead, Mark, do John. And he's making <laughs> me imitate the other Beatles. And I'm completely mortified and humiliated. But, but Clapton, he goes, still good vocal. Sits down, puts on the guitar and goes, where do you want it? I said, wherever you want to. And then it was a take and a half. And he did that thing and it was so beautiful. And the meaning of it was so important to both of them. You know, I was more or less along for the ride, but the song, it's value because Ringo and George were really tight. Ringo and Eric were really tight. And the song got a good goodbye from two of his friends, two of his best friends. I love that song. Me
3: too
4: very
2: proud yes i just ask i know that when ringo has talked about that song he said that in the very beginning he was writing a song as a tribute to harry and then he thought why not add john lennon into it (laughs) and then george harrison's but it became too busy a song for him so then it became just a song about george were you there to witness when he was trying to write about john and about harry yes
5: yes in fact later on in that record there's a song called Missouri Loves Company. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And it actually says in the end, we miss you, Harry. And I do like a Wah! like he used to sing <laughs> and, 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 it was, we, and that took care of that thing. Right. Uh, I, I'm so influenced by John Lennon. I was singing background. Gary Burr and I were singing background. And Ringo goes, Mark, oh, you're sounding too much like John. And I went, I can't help myself. I'm not copying him. He was my reason to sing. And he goes, stop it. Okay. So he gave us one day off. We went to we went to London. Went to uh, uh, Camden Lock. And they have Beatles stuff there. And, we're, and they had these pictures. And I saw a picture of John that I'd never seen before. Wearing kind of a military hat. And it, 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 I'd never seen the picture before. And it was like an 11 by 14. So I bought it. And I didn't tell Ringo. And uh, This one's a rough one. I, I can't be stopped. The thing that I need, I need someone to stop me because I can't stop myself. It's like musical Tourette's. <laughs> I took the picture and I signed, I did like a, a circle, like in a cartoon. And I wrote, uh, he sounds like me so let him be, you midget bastard, on the thing, like a cartoon and the picture of John with those words. And I said it on Ringo's lyrical uh, thing. He was going to sing a song. He comes in from lunch with, all right, boys, let's go get it, goes into the room. He sees the picture and, and there's like the look on his face was a little scary, not mad, but shocked and hmm. he goes Malk, come out here and i'm thinking this is it i'm fired i'm going to get to finish the record i make one bad john lennon joke and now i'm going to be frisbee to the cornfield and i walk out and points at it and and i turned to, I, I turned to sort of like woody Allen. i'm sorry ringo i i, I was reclamped. i saw. i was trying to make an excuse and he goes what about this and it was you midget bastard i went like, i just I wrote it down as if it was John. He goes, how did you know that John used to call me that? And when he said that, it was like, and and I saw his face in a well with a bit of a tear. And and I was, once again, wearing brown pants because it was, and he goes, how did you know? And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. And now there that was, and that got us to another folk. But the whole relationship was like that. The entire time it was like that I, we were having so much fun and then sometimes it would cross the line and be too much fun and if anyone's going to yell at me it might as
0: well be a beetle
2: mm. yeah. And,
0: mm. wow
1: yeah Right. amazing
2: tom lots
5: of stories it's one of my favorite songs never without <laughs>
1: you though yeah, it's yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant track. Thank you, Mark, again, for, for being here and taking our questions on this, really. No I, I think it's a very strong album that you helped create. And and being someone that does a Paul McCartney podcast, I'd regret if I didn't ask you about, uh, you know, English Garden and incorporating, um, you know, the lyrics to Let Them In into that song. So well, if you can, uh, you know, enlighten us uh, to that.
5: Paul McCartney guy, I'll give you a couple. Yeah. On English garden. All of those sounds like the horse. And we went and created. There's actually a picture of Ringo and I out in the rain with umbrellas recording the rain and
1: Is that it right there on the back?
5: Yeah, yeah. And, And there it is. And By the way, I don't know if you guys can see that. But that's Ringo and I at Paul's house.
1: Uh, the middle is a little blurry. Yeah, yeah. It's, the back, the it's the background. The background. The background. What does they? Yeah. 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 Hey. But that's all right. That's anyway, okay. yeah. the the uh,
5: at the end, Ringo's singing it, in my English garden, and I love that song too. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he just goes, "Someone's knocking at my door." Somebody, and I'm going, "Oh God, here goes the lawsuit." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Here goes the lawsuit, mm-hmm. and I, I felt like, who's the kid that looks like a leprechaun who just won a lawsuit from Marvin Gaye?
3: Uh, uh um, Ed Sheeran.
5: Ed Sheeran, right? The leprechaun. <laughs> he, I, I thought, oh, no, English Garden has nothing to do with knocking him. So Ringo's, oh, don't worry, and he calls it Paul, and Paul says, "I'll just talk to the publisher," and Ringo. I'm talking to the bloody guy that wrote it, you bastard. And then he just, just left it alone. So we did it for nothing. And that's mm. that goes to show you, You know, we all wanted to create the Beatles arguing because we were so brokenhearted over their split. Mm. They loved each other the entire time. Yeah, they yeah. argued like anybody, yeah, they did that. But if you look at Ringo's postcards from the boys, they were sending postcards to each other the entire time on vacation. They, they loved each other, like completely. So when Ringo did that to Paul, that's what it was. And my, my other McCartney thing was, uh, I think it was on Vertical Man, a song called, What in the, what in the world can I do? Right, Living in a world without you. Paul goes, "You hey, oh, that sounds pretty beatly." And Ringo, a- "I know. I told Mark. Uh, it, sounded, it sounded too. It sounded beatly." And Paul went, "Rich, you're a fucking beetle. <laughs> you're gonna steal." Right. <laughs> and it was so great because in his studio he had all that stuff from Abbey Bro. You know the bells from Penny right. Lane. The Mellotron, you know, you know this. And he did the beginning of Strawberry Fields and we sang it. And Jeff Emmerich was engineering. Ringo's in there. And Paul and I are out there and I'm teaching him the chords. And there's one, because I don't read music. I don't think McCartney does either. There's a thing right. there, you know, A, demented, and I just called it a fruity chord. And Paul went, <laughs> fruity chord? What's the fruity chord? I went. Well, it's this, and I played the chord. He goes, I call it fruity, and he thumbed me for eight minutes. <laughs> fruity chord. <code>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fruity code. What a, fr- a chord. And excellent. The, and, and as he's and so weird because as he's writing on my chart, I'm thinking, okay, just to mark. Nice working with you. Love Paul. But he's got this assistant named John, who's great. And anytime anything happens john just runs by grabs anything that's in the way and it disappears so that mm-hmm. doesn't happen so mm-hmm. paul and i are singing down, and then ringo as a joke goes oh there he goes again shaking his bloody head he goes i was the one that invented that in the beatles not him <laughs> I, I, I there's so many screaming girls they would go oh and i knew what part of the song it was and <laughs> and, and paul looks at me and goes, "Like." There he goes again. And that little fun argument kind of starts. Right. Well, I go in and Paul's ready to play bass. And there he is with the Hoffner bass still with the set list on it. And I di- am and I got to play John's Gibson. So I'm in heaven. I'm thinking, Lord, if you're going to kill me, let the plane crash in the building now. Because this is not be better. Than-. And McCartney's playing the bass and he sounds just like Paul McCartney, Jeff Emmerich is the engineer, Ringo standing next to me. But the fruity chord bass note was supposed to be a C sharp. And Paul kept hitting a C. And I, I looked at Ringo and I went, "He, you know the, the fruity chord, Rich? He keeps hitting the wrong note. And Ringo goes, I'm not gonna tell him. And I look at Jeff <laughs> and goes, don't look at me. And I'm like, oh God, so it's gonna be me. <laughs> I don't think here I go again. I'm gonna press a button and I'm gonna be frisbeeed out of Sussex, never to be. <laughs> sad. And yeah. I turned into Woody Allen again and I press the button. Uh Paul? Yeah, Mo? Yeah, look. look. Look, look, yeah. Thumbing me more than a human should thumb. <laughs> so you know that the one. The one, you know, the fruity goat, oh, yeah, the fruit. I love the fruit. i like, oh, you you're you're hitting a C note. And it's supposed to be a C sharp. And I'm waiting for, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? I was waiting for that. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, C sharp. Thumbed me for about 30 seconds and then displayed it. And I was thinking it was the end of my life. I was, that was the end of my life. But McCartney was so great, so friendly, so mm-hmm. I got to think background with him. Mm-hmm. Me and Paul, it's just like, are you kidding? Right.
0: it's awesome. Have. And That's
5: so the awesome. whole little so someone's knocking at the door. Bingo yeah. just said,
1: Screw the publisher, I'm talking to the writer. And they laughed. <laughs> there you go. Hmm. Done. That's funny yeah um you know we mentioned you know all the the people that you know play a part and the guests the special guests that appear on his own it seems like you know whoever he asks it it's just yes when do I show up and I love that um one of my favorite songs on the uh on the album is uh right one for me I love the double meaning to that I love I'm a big Willie Nelson fan so if you can talk a little bit about uh about that track
5: well, it was great. Ringo actually wanted to write something, and approach Willie. So uh, Gary Burr and I had this idea: a young man was strumming his uh, in a bar, strumming his guitar for hours and hours, and and Ringo loved the song. Came in, we f- all finished it together, and then he called Willie, and said, "Can Willie come and sing background?" So we sent Willie the tape. All of a sudden, his bus shows up at my studio, which is like a huge bus and the call because Mark Willie's in the bus can you can you go in there so are you kidding run downstairs and knock on the bus door and when I opened the door just a walk of smoke I had to take a surprise just for going on and there was Willie Nelson like just the coolest guy ever and he goes that's really a good song I went Willie just the fact that you're doing this means so much. To me. he goes, oh, pshaw. Comes up to the studio and he looks, and they were filming it. And he goes, uh, Ringo, I'm doing my part in the song and I hope I don't fuck it up too much. Goes, okay, <laughs> and sang it twice and it was beautiful. His harmonica player came and played harmonica. We took pictures and he goes, well, you don't need drugs, man. in this studio. It's so darn colorful, I don't need to smoke anything. And I wanted to make him to smoke the Buick before he came up here, but I let let it be. He was fantastic. <laughs> Everybody that worked on this stuff is like... Right. I feel like, you know, where's Waldo? How did I end up with all these people? Dave Gilmore and Black, Willie Nelson. How did that happen?
1: Timothy know. B. Schmidt. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Um. Know, you know, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 it's just like,
5: all of the guest stars, Sean Colvin. I mean, people were showing up because they wanted to be part, uh, you know, the Beatles have that impact. And Ringo even has, I'm not putting the other guy down, but Ringo sort of has that, he could be the postman. Oh, hello, love, you know, he's not doing, oh, darling, he's just sort of that guy. And that guy, safety net and it's a net that can really be loved in a big way and Mm. he possesses that it's in his personality it's in his drumming it's in his songwriting and in his singing voice, same thing
1: Yeah, I love the Shrek, because it reminds me of, of Paul's uh, Right Away as well, as it has two different meanings. You can, yes. you know, play around with that. So that's one of the things I really love about it. But one little funny thing, I, I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you guys did this on purpose, but on the back there, it says produced by Mark Hudson and Ringo Starr, and then produced by Ringo Starr and Mike Hudson. Was <laughs> there, was there? We were always fighting for credit. Like, oh,
5: write a <laughs> we lyric, and then he would sign my lyric. And then he'd come okay. up with a good idea and I'd put in friendlies written by Mark Hudson. So it was our sort of in-joke that we constantly kept that going. So on the records, it was produced by Mark Hudson, Ringo, Ringo Mark Hudson. And that was our tipping our hat to our own sense of humor. Uh, like he has an incredible sense of humor. Like, his right. sense of humor, <laughs> it's great. Right. Just great. And, and that's why we did that. and We did it all the time. And whenever we would, then we would take credit for each other's work. It was Excellent. our end
1: joke you know. yeah. Excellent yeah. stories. Thank you, Mark. Joe, go ahead, buddy.
4: Okay. Thanks. Well, you know, Mark, I have a, a couple of questions relating to the album, but before I do that, there's something that I've always wanted to ask Ringo if I, if I was going to meet him or at least compliment him on. So I'm going to ask you uh, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Okay. Now You know, I go to see Ringo, we all go to see Ringo uh, live, and he used to do, I don't know if he still does it, a routine where he'll say, I have a new album out. And he'll say, How many people have it? And he'll go, One, two, three. And I always feel like, No, no, a lot of us out there appreciate your new albums and your new music. So my question in that regard is, Was he aware that people liked his music, his new music? Or did he honestly always feel like, Ah, nobody's interested in this?
5: It never, it never really was negative. All of them, their real time was the Beatles. That's when they were all selling, masses, massive amounts of of uh, vinyl or CD or tape. And Ringo was always like, it's sort of like how they would give George one song, maybe two songs on an album, because it was so Lennon and McCarty, and Ringo would get one, you know, if he was lucky, and the you know the insecurity or, or putting himself down, sometimes becomes like a, uh, not a cover up, but like, well I'm not really a singer. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you sang photographs. Yeah, you sang Little Help. You sang Boys. So, you sang Good Night. John Lennon wrote that beautiful song for you, Ringo. Mm. And and sometimes, he he still needs to hear that. Your know, records are not selling like they used to, and that's even look at McCartney. They're not selling like they used to, and that's just a sign of the times. Uh, Ringo loves recording, and I don't think he'll ever stop. Um, he loves making music, and he's all about peace and love. And if you hear, most of his lyrics are surrounded by peace and love, because that's the message that he wants to give. And he does, like on his birthday, 12 o'clock, everybody say it, and he means it. He's not, it's not like, oh, I better do that, that's my image, he really means it, he means it. And and for that alone, you gotta love him. It, I don't think, I, I, you know, it might be tougher, it might've been tougher on Paul and John when things aren't selling like the Beatles used to sell because they were like Lennon and McCartney. So George had all those songs during the Beatles and the Beatles didn't do them. So then when George did all things must pass, that was sort of like him going, you know, maybe you should have listened to me. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) You know, that's,
5: but even then it was all done Tongue in cheek, I, I never saw them like get angry with each other. You know, uh, like I say, you know, all Beatles have yelled at me except for Paul. And George Harrison did this record called "Chance" with Ravi Shankar, and we were all together, and he played it. It was beautiful. And George made these baseball hats, that the <laughs> Om sign here and it was great and I figured oh I gotta do I gotta do that I gotta but I'll make mine purple and I'll put the ohm sign there and the back will be there's no place like ohm <coughs> and I did it and then Ringo got the call from George going he's filled my design the bastard and Ringo went, well George it is 5,000 years old but the thing is George twisted the ohm sign and I, I didn't know my own for my ass in the ground. So the twisted home, I didn't know what the right way was or the wrong way. I just saw the George, and I, I did it like that. So I had to call him and apologize. George, I, 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 I didn't know All right, I could give me a hat. So I gave him a hat, and I was forgiven. So constantly
4: yelled. But you know what? I probably deserved it. So OK. Uh, well, um, one of my favorite tracks on the album that we haven't talked about yet is Imagine Me There, which I think is a really beautiful ballad. I was yeah. wondering if you could tell us a little about that, maybe the writing of it, uh, input.
5: That, that, one, that one, I think, was just uh, me, Ringo, and Gary Burr. Gary Burr and I went over uh, to England, and, you know, Ringo's mind is a beautiful thing because, you know, Imagine Me There, what a great title. And, and and he always comes up, you know, why am I wrong all the time? Just stuff that people don't think about. But Imagine Me There, it's sort of, he misses his wife. He loves Barbara like nobody's business. And whenever he would have to go away, he would miss her. And he would do like, imagine me being there because that's what I'm doing imagining me being there and the three of us just cut the track it wasn't the whole band it was just the three of us and it the songwriting was more intimate the playing was more intimate and his vocal was extremely sort of like wonderfully romantic and passionate and you know you i'd always let him sing how he wanted to and then if there was something that i wanted to flip or turn around I would say it and he'd go oh yeah and then he just would do it immediately and it was done and he always loves to double track quite like Ozzy Osbourne he loved his voice double track it's like John Lennon loving his voice with slap on it you know instant karma kind of thing so that song was very very intimate and I'm sure it was about Barbara and his feelings towards her so the whole process of that was three guys, basically.
4: Very very sweet and touching track, that one. Yeah. Now, uh, I know you had something to say, and I was thinking about it, about the album cover, the drawing mm-hmm. on yeah. the album cover. So maybe you could talk okay. about that.
5: There it is. Well, the we were working, and he said, if you want me, I'll be at extension 269. And he just put X 269 and he put it on the wall. And, and I, I thought to myself, that's, that's not right. And I had all my colors with me because I was an art student before I was musical. And I went, I'm just going to draw a version of him, what he's wearing today. And I got my stuff and I drew it over that. In fact, if you actually see the album cover, I think on the top of his hat, you see the word Ringo, I think, going across the head, if I can remember. And we kind of disguised it a little bit. And then when you see the DVD, you see Dave Gilmore playing, and on the wall is this stupid little picture. And during the whole making of the record, and the famous Henry Dills shot stuff, like, so many famous photographers. And at the end, Ringo went. I know what the album cover is going to be. I went. Is that picture that Henry Dills took of you outside in front of the your huge peace sign? No. Is that picture of you and Barbara in the garden? No. Is it in front of the big tree that's dying? No. Your painting. What? Your painting is the cover of the album. Mm. And I believe that he did that. And it's so interesting because you know later on you. Know, I, I want a Grammy for living on the edge for Aerosmith. My mom only ever looked at me as my son, the painter. Mom, I'm producing a beetle. Oh, no, honey, you're an artist. You don't understand. That was an accident. I'm writing songs and producing a beetle. Oh, you're such a painter. Why you, I oughta. And that's what the whole album cover was based on. And later on, we did a litho of it. And... Sign, he signed it, I signed it, and he gave it away to the Lotus Foundation, his uh, his charity, and that's another high point in my life. Is a Ringo Starr album cover, I painted. It. It's like what? It's like it's like what was the movie with Tom Hanks? You know, uh, uh, Forrest Gump. Forest Gump. I'm like the Forrest Gump of rock. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: don't know. Okay. Well, can I, can I get one more question? Please, I don't yeah. want to take all the But um, I think we've all been wondering about this, you know, the the beetle harmonies and uh, uh that, you, that were on a lot of the albums that you were involved with uh how how deliberate was that i mean like on the christmas album even you know it sounds very beatlesque and you know watching vh1 storytellers you get a real Beatle vibe and i'm thinking that's mark i always thought you know it's mark trying to ingest that in there
5: True. well no i mean but i i couldn't help you don't know, understand something i was such a beetle how could i not do that and because of his comfort that's where he came from, so I wanted him to be reminiscent of what he was before. So all of our harmonies were based in what the Beatles would have done, and it's, it's really that simple. And thank God, he allowed it. Like hmm. he, he liked, it. and I and I'm proud of that stuff too. You know, I get one song, uh, fading in and fading out. I think it might be choose love. I don't know. They're all mashed together. But one time he said, "Like, oh, go on out there and pretend you're John and Paul." So we got to. It was like <laughs> Christmas gift every day, doing that. And Gary Burr and I did all the background. We just sat down. All all the clusters of harmonies are just two humans. And sometimes early on it was just me, but that's the sort of Freddie Mercury-esque you know blasts of harmony but it he let us do it and why should he not do it? He's a Beatle. What's he going to do it? Disco album? No, let it be who he is. He did already. No.
4: Yeah, I was no. going to say,
3: he kind of did. <laughs> he, he
4: did that <laughs> no, but it, it worked and I think you know, uh, I think some of us here, we look down on the idea some fans, you know, uh, the aren't completists, you know, they don't have all the Ringo albums. I thought, well, maybe it it would appeal more to the average Beatle fan with those touches in there, you know?
5: I I think so, too. Why why would they want to hear a record that didn't sound like something that he would have done when he was in that band? And that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, when we did the, you know, Storytellers and stuff, we were in heaven. Joe Walsh on guitar, Simon Kirk is the other drummer. And Ringo. Who wouldn't want to be in that band? Once again, it's that forest yeah. Gump all over it.
4: I but mean, I'd like to be in I don't mean me not I'll be in the yeah. band. Yeah. I can't even yeah. I can't even play anything, so without still. Do
2: yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very you. Was there ever a time when Ringo thought you were going overboard? Because yes. there are plenty of songs where you're referencing other Beatles songs. And, yeah, you know, yeah, but
5: yes, that for most part, there was a few on a song, uh, Elizabeth Reigns mm. about the Queen. Um, we got to go to the Jubilee, and we came back, and and he wrote, and the fam- and the best lyric in this, six uh, hundred servants use their detergents, washing the palace floor. But none of our sins are as bad as the winds are. It's just like, and that's Ringo. I had nothing to do with that. All on him. Bless his heart. And we did a solo. And and this is actually on film somewhere. And the the solo was great. And Ringo went, that, that sounds like something else. And I'm going, no, it doesn't. I'm like a kid. No, it doesn't, not really. I finished my homework. No, I ate the broccoli. No, moth. And it was, <laughs> it was a direct steal from a George Harrison thing on the Abbey Road album. And Ringo said, you have to change it. You have to, and, and I tried to go, Rich, please, it's a change, and he was adamant. So what we did is we reversed the song, kept the solo, but reversed it, and had him learn the backwards solo forwards. So nice. if you hear the solo on Elizabeth Reigns, if you flip that over, you're going to hear Abbey Road. Yeah. But <laughs> it was that, and then he learned it from the backwards forwards, and then Ringo. Goes, oh, that's very, it's very George Martin. Of-
4: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think Mark, I, I, said, I, think that the, uh, John Lennon used to uh, do a lot of that stuff too. Oh yeah. He owned up to a lot of that stuff.
5: I know, I know. Well, you have to get away with as much as you can, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Mark, it's, speaking
0: it's, of,
1: go ahead. speaking of flipping, speaking of flipping over, um, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the big vinyl uh, revival that's been going on the last ten. Yeah years or so. Was there ever talk of, of these albums in this period of time being released on vinyl, or was it uh, always just a CD?
5: No, Ringo wanted it to be, but at that point, right. the industry wasn't ready for it. Remember,
0: yeah.
5: the kids just started listening to vinyl within the last five years, maybe, but prior to that, it wasn't cost-effective, but I sure would die if they released those on vinyl.
4: Mm-hmm. the Christmas album is yeah. on vinyl Christmas album Yeah, Christmas and
1: Time Take Time is on vinyl yeah, but you know Paul was able to release his stuff on vinyl whenever he would release a new album during that period of time as, as well when vinyl was dead uh, if you will but uh, it would have been cool if these, if he had a chance to release no I vinyl as
2: well back
5: no. then. I know I mean I, I still say an odd prayer that maybe that will mm-hmm. show up
1: you know mm-hmm. And do you they, have any say in that do you have any say as producer no you uh, know, would you have any say
5: no you know once it's done you can suggest anything that you can but it's yeah. out of your and and that's what that's what i don't like about the business is they should leave more room for the artist and have the artist be the one that's calling that shot if it works great mm-hmm. if it doesn't great make your vinyl an ashtray you know if you want to but the, the artist should really be the one to say, yeah, let's mm-hmm. do it. But now it's coming back. Now everybody's, yeah. now if you record, record, it gets to be vinyl.
4: Yeah.
5: Because resurged, which is fantastic.
4: And that's the mm-hmm. thing they have on record store day, you know, now. Um, right. Right. Once or twice a year where they have a lot of albums that were not previously on vinyl coming out on vinyl for the first time. So I keep hoping, I think we all are, that we get those albums on vinyl because I'm a vinyl collector too. Me too. Well,
1: and that's the thing too, because, you know, time-wise, it's just under 50 minutes. It would fit on one record if you think about it. Yeah.
5: No, it, it. I think the, the labels just look at it as a, a thing of cost. how much money are we spending? It's that thing. So that's when it gets out of the producer's hands. Mm. You know, I mean, we got to sequence it. We never let them have any, put this first, put that forth. Ringo and I always said, here's the running order. Mm. Yeah, which
1: was cool. You know. Kit, we got questions from the audience?
3: Yes, we have a couple of good questions here. One of them is... um, not, uh, not specifically. Uh, I mean, it can be Ringo Rama, but other uh, from other albums you've worked with with Ringo. Are there specific songs that uh, you really that are some of your favorites that you uh, did with Ringo?
5: I mean, uh, like which ones would be?
3: Yeah, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, that, well, uh, I, think, I think on
5: on Vertical Man, I loved Vertical Man. Because Ozzy mm-hmm. Osbourne, who's a huge Beatle fan. Yeah. said, uh, Mark, Ma, 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 can, can I put the legal record? Went, okay. And he shows up. You're yeah, the really man I can't, I can't believe I'm working with the Beatles. That's
4: so pretty good. <laughs> that, one, that one I love. That's amazing. I you love- know, Mark, Mark, you should do the excuse me, you should do the Beatle cartoons from the sixties <laughs> oh, Dub the voices <laughs> over. They should rehire. I need yeah. the work.
5: <laughs> <laughs> also like what in the world? Because mm. McCartney loved that song. And he's playing bass on it. And we're singing background together. Mm. And I I actually love that song. Instant Amnesia. Never Without You. I actually love the song. I don't I don't know. Your heart's so big. The last song on Vertical Man. And it's just oh, George yeah. Martin.
2: The ballad, the love song. Yeah. George Martin strings. Oh, what the heck is the name? Like? I'm, I'm yeah. forgetting the sequence. <laughs> Some
4: fans yeah. we all forgot the La- sequence. La- La- uh, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm
1: yours. I'm yours. I'm I'm
4: yours.
5: Beautiful. beautiful. I love, love and I, I, I love Choose Love, that's a great song. And, and we, went, we went for ticket to ride on that one. boom. I mean, there's so many favorites I have. When I hear them again, I go, ooh, I really liked it. When I don't remember it, but I love that one. And that's how it works. You know, it's, there's too many to pick, but la-di-da.
4: I mm-hmm. was just yeah. thinking. I want to before I forget this. I got to interject something. Every time I've ever seen you doing that, like live, especially what uh, any time on any show or anywhere where it was performed, you always seem to really get into that part. Now I don't know what you say. Really fast, you can't always get what you want. So you, you, want, so you get what you want. <laughs> whatever you say, that, something that, like you always seem to really get into that bit. That's that's me and Steven Tyler.
5: See. Mm. You get what you want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If, if you want it, you got it, you got it, you want it. It, it was some sort of... Something you fast. Got it, you got it, you want it, you got it. Get hold it. Some sort of, it was Swahili. But you got Stephen Tyler going, <laughs> better follow the master. Yeah, yeah. And and I I love that. And and also in the, on Love Me Do, because Ringo did not get to play on the single version because George Martin didn't know who ringo was or if he was good enough so uh was it andy white yep yeah studio drummer. yeah yep and so when we did that song he goes let's do love me do really yeah so steve cropper is on guitar from all the sam and dave stuff mm-hmm. steven Tyler's playing the harmonica and we just did a straightforward rock version of it as opposed to love it was Love, that, love me too. and Ringo wanted to do it. How could I, or should I say no? You and we also did Christmas Time is Here Again with Joe Perry playing the guitar solo
0: mm-hmm. on the
5: Christmas album. You know, it's just like, it's so great being with a Beatle because everybody wants to be with him in one way or another. Singing background, playing the guitar solo, something they all want to be a part of it because in our history especially for those of us in the cocktail hours of our life I can actually say that I knew all four of them I got punched by Lennon
4: <laughs> should we all uh, hear that story yes the <laughs> please.
5: my brothers and I were signed to Elton John's label Rocket Records Bernie Toppin was our producer. We're in L.A. They threw a party at Rocker Records. And all the groovy L.A. people were going like, oh, yeah, there's a Beatle upstairs. A Beatle? Yeah, I think it's John Lennon. I, 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 (laughs) I, I ran upstairs and sitting in the corner is John Lennon by himself smoking with a drink. And I couldn't believe it. And I walked, I walked to John, my name is Mark. And we're on Rocker record, Records. And Bernie Toppin is my producer. And and you're the Walrus, but I want to be the Walrus. And you have Yoko. I'm dating a black girl named Coco. Please, John. And he's looking crazy. Oh, boy. And then <laughs> and I sit down and I sat down. And I started, I couldn't believe it. And he goes, all right. One Beetle question every time we're together. You ask me to punch in the fucking head. And I couldn't stop myself. So I think she's well acquainted with the touch of a velvet hand, like a lizard on a window pane. I, yeah, it meant nothing. I went, what? Because I write in metaphor, you make up the meaning. And I was like, wow. And then, and what about run for your life? Did you really write that in the bathroom? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, and so, it, four times, like, in the time that I knew him during that last weekend, Elton would take us to a bar that was a bit dubious, like people in hot pants. And if you dropped your keys, you had have to kick them back to your car because it was pretty fabulous. And we're sitting down and, and getting pretty drunk. And he heard a song and it was, uh,
0: When will I see you again? When the precious moments? Are we in love? And he
5: goes, oh, I love John. I couldn't believe that John lived. And he goes, come on, Hudsons, let's go have a dance. So all three brothers and John are at, in this place dancing to that song. And then I said, like, John, was there ever a Beatles song that was like that? And goes, oh. <laughs> nothing, and this was like constant. It was constant. Oh, and then, wow. Ringo well enough and we were great friends so when he would yell at me he could like really yell at me. George yelled at me over the ohm sign and Lennon would do it when I would ask a stupid Beatle question. Hmm. Is, is it really is it really true that you wanted to sing oh darling there you go again Hudson. Oh. <laughs>
0: That's
5: I call- love taps now so. Yeah, I hope it wasn't that
4: hard. what I'm saying. No,
5: it was, it was just, just kind of like it wasn't like knocking me out or turning my head. Just, no, but, but, you know, being hit by the Beatles is pretty cool. Oh,
4: it's an
3: honor. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, sure. it was. Just Bob, ask Bob Wooler.
2: Yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Good.
4: That works. Um,
2: I'd like to ask a few more questions. One of okay. my favorite songs from Ringo in his entire catalog is Missouri Loves Company. I yeah. love the play on words. Yes. Song. Yeah. And when I spoke to Gary Burr recently on the other podcast that I do, Things We Said Today, he said that that was Dean Grechel. It that, Grey- How do you, yeah. do you pronounce the last name? Ringo's lawyer, Bruce Grey-Cow,
5: It's it was his son. Okay. And he came up with Missouri Loves Company as it was like Misery Love Company, which is the the same. And then when when we got our hands on it, Ringo, uh, all the way from, there's one word, I wish I could remember, there's one word in that song that Ringo pronounces wrong. I'm trying to think, you know, yes Virginia, there's a world is he uh, There's one word in there he pronounces wrong and I went Ringo you're I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it because it is for me (laughs) and then in the end was the I miss you Harry when you hear me go "Ah!" Mm -hmm. and we miss you Harry because they were great friends as well and Dave Gilmore Mm is playing the guitar solo so he walks in and there he is in his pink floydness he hears the song and goes yeah that's great and he starts playing the solo now as a producer when a guitar player bends a note it's really difficult to double track that because the bend makes the note oscillate like yeah. he did four tracks and every single note was completely in tune and completely the same action. And it was like, it blew my mind. And then Ringo went, oh, thanks a lot, Dave, that's great. Which one do you want to use? And Gilmore went, all four of them. And I went, (laughs)
0: yes. And so,
5: whole solo is four tracks of Dave Gilmore. Just Uh like, there it is. I mean, those are the things that I learn every time I'm producing anybody, I learn something a brand new way and that was one way like four tracks of gilmore whoever would have thought that he just said use all four and there was
2: done and it's the and it's a great song too you know it's a perfect guitar solo and such a full sound and i know i know
5: it, it, it's like it's a weird thing with me as a producer when i have nothing to say it's a little scary because yeah. my say and to yell and point and I didn't have to say anything I could have gone for coffee <laughs> but you know it's the god given talent that all of these people have like when george when george played king of broken hearts ringo cried when he sent it back to us with the uh, the multi track and when we heard it in the studio ringo started crying because it was done with that much love and it was george harrison playing that slide guitar they can be recreated by anybody, and it's just like you know. I don't know. I'm lucky. i bit blessed. And then talking to you guys makes me relive it again. Probably when we hang up, I'll uncontrollably weep.
4: Oh, <laughs> oh no. no! Oh no! Mark, no. Oh. Mark, Mark, who, who played? Who played the uh, that bit on the VH1 Storytellers? King of Broken Hearts was done on that, wasn't it? I believe.
5: Yes, it was. Steve Dudas played the solo, and Ringo made it learn it just like George. You see, and there's ah. certain Beatleland that you're not supposed to screw around. And it's like you're not gonna go boom da da da, do, da, da,
0: da, 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 da.
5: No, <laughs> you finish the riff like you're supposed to. And Ringo went to Steve, learned that solo. Exactly like George. And he did. He did. And he did the same for Octopus's Garden, which is not easy for a guitar player to play. And it was like really a struggle, but Dudas learned it. And Ringo says certain things you don't mess about. And in wow. fact, when we're doing the the, uh, the storytellers, we're doing Little Help for my friends and Jack Blades. From Night Ranger was the bass player. Great bass player, great singer. And I just said, Jack, when it gets to the famous, we just stand up and walk out on the,
0: do, 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 do,
5: that famous McCartney thing. You better play it exactly like that, or every bass player on the planet is gonna wanna bludgeon you with their bass if you do it wrong. So there we are doing the show. <laughs> we just stand up and walk, and Jack went like, Bingo looked at me like, what the hell was that? And I knew it was trouble. This, this <laughs> look he gave me, I went, oh, I don't want to beat Jack Blades when we get off stage. Because you mess with, I mean, even in McCartney's band, they're playing the stuff. I mean, it sounds different because it's not the Beatles, but all of the riffs are the Beatles. They're, they're copying that stuff. You've got to yeah. stay true. You have to. At yeah. least the famous stuff. Yeah. Other things you can right. get away with. Yeah. Babies in a on the one after nine. You can kind of mess about with that. Other things, you just can't. You're not allowed.
2: When certain parts are iconic, you got to treat them like they're sacred. Yeah, you do. You do. And, and
5: because I was such a Beatle fan, I'm, I'm, I'm more heavy-handed with keeping that stuff honest and true. It has to
0: be.
2: Hmm. I yeah. just want to add about Missouri Loves Company. What I love so much about the song is, like I said, the double entendre and how you could apply using states as the names of women. You know, Yes, Virginia, there's a world. It's like Georgia on my mind. It works yeah. on you know, a couple of levels there. Yes, I just thought it was so brilliant how that was done. Thank you. It was it was really,
5: really cool. And Dean Gracell was flying the plane on that one. Yeah. And then we all added in. Oh, I think it would have been Niagara Falls. I don't want to go like Niagara Falls. It's Niagara. No, it's not. It's
4: Niagara. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, Ringo.
2: It's Niagara. Yep. <laughs> Could you just expand a little bit on, because you were talking about, you said to Ringo, you are a singer. There's a lot more to being a singer than hitting notes. And I think one of the things about Ringo, what I love about his singing is there's a certain tone in his voice. There's a certain warmth in his voice. When he does ballads, especially like you were talking about Goodnight or one of those songs, you know, it's so suitable for that. And I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for being a, you know, a good singer for the kind of music that he puts out. Well,
5: nobody, if you look at, look at the other three guys in the band,
2: you have Lennon and
5: McCartney, and that's a whole nother, and then you throw in George, and, and by the time you got to Ringo, it's his honesty is beautiful. Uh, his integrity, because he had a lot of integrity when he sings. And he really does care. I think sometimes he wishes, like, he'll tell the story about Back Off Boogaloo and it was based with T uh, Rex, Mark Boland. And he goes, and he would always go, Oh, back off, oh, Boogaloo. And Ringo said, That's a great song title. And then Ringo said that he was in bed, and all, like, Boogaloo, boogaloo. I said, back off, Boogaloo. And he went, Oh, and he woke up and he tried to find a cassette. Went through his children's toys, trying, to, and he's singing. He goes, but I was looking so long, it turned into Mac the Knife. <laughs> oh, those shots! <laughs> oh. And that's like that shows the integrity that he does possess. Mm-hmm. He really does care. He really wants it to be great, and. I love his voice, not just because I'm used to it, but I love his interpretation of his music. He doesn't push himself to sing too high. And I got in trouble a couple of times on one of the songs for Love. You hurt my throat. Yeah, but listen how good you sound. I hate it. And he just hated it because he didn't want to sing that high.
4: Hmm. So I will say,
5: Rich, just grab onto your jelly sack and make the note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
4: Do I think Frankie Valley gave an
2: advice?
5: Yeah, they, Frankie Valli. <laughs> oh,
2: wow. You were talking about lyrics. I know in one interview that, that you did with me, we talked about Christmas Eve, which I think deserves to be a classic because it's such a beautiful song. Thank you. Very I, much like I remember think Christmas from Nilsson. you know. Yep. Um, yep. There was a line in there, I see your presence by the, and double meaning there, of course, of course, so he comes up with these lines all the time in his songs. Oh, and that was just the two of us, you know. I was at a, his apartment
5: in London, and I said, you know, why don't we do like a real simple kind of ballad about someone? I you know the lights on the tree and the snow. It has this very sort of melancholy. Uh, lyric and as soon as i heard him sing it with that voice i i got goose i got goosebumps or i had gas one or the other something happened and maybe that was oversharing but still i loved that song mm. that funk, to me i wish barbara streisand or someone of that ilk would cut mm. because it's that good and i'm not just saying it because i co-wrote it with ringo mm. Even if I didn't write it, I would love that song.
2: And I do. But the yeah. whole arrangement itself by, that, that you worked on was so perfect for it, like Goodnight. Yes. Like I did it up- For Me, you know, on, on Goodnight Vienna, that kind of thing with, with an orchestra. Yep, absolutely. So and you know, the one thing that I have that during
5: the making of that record, uh, Ringo wasn't in the studio one day. And he said where the Beatles used to work in Abbey Road. He goes, you know, we were just in a corner. If you look at the top of the steps and kind of go to the right, that corner there is where we set up. In that big studio, our little area was there. And I went, wow. Now they were, they were putting tie lines in because now, you know, things have changed in the orchestras, so they cut a hole through the wall and they were putting in chords so they could record other studios through that room. Mm. And I looked down at the floor and I saw a piece of the hardwood floor was kind of loose. And I went, I'm gonna get a piece of the floor. I'm getting the floor from Abbey Road. And the engineer went, no, Mark, Mark, don't do that. But as you can tell, I can't be stopped. And so I went, Oh, I won't do it. And then I went to the second engineer and said, do you have a screwdriver? Yeah. I took off my shoe and I went down to the floor. And and it's like, it was like a long, it's like this, it was only like that thick and a long piece of wood. So it's not like normal hardwood floors. Mm. It was, they're all thin. And I got it and I put it in my coat and I said, I got to get out of here. I got to least bring this back to the hotel. And I said to the engineer, let's just take a take like a lunch break. He goes, why a lunch break? We're in the middle of the world. He said, I need a lunch break. Okay, Scotty. And I hugged him and he felt he felt the wood of the thing on his chest. He wow. went, You didn't. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. I got a, and I have a piece of Abbey Road in my house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and wow. then he said to me, hey, you better, you better clear that with Ringo. I'm, thinking, oh, I'm so tired of being in trouble. I don't want John to punch me anymore. So tired of getting in trouble. <laughs> oh, huh? mm. so, Mark. I call up Ringo. Hello, Mark. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. We put, we put a tablet and some sitars on him. some bagpipes. Oh, great. I went, Rich, I have I have something to tell you. What did you do this time? I I took a piece of the Abbey Road floor. What? Yeah, the, the floor, I took, I took a screwdriver and kind of loosened it. I put it in my coat. So if you want me to bring it back, I will. He goes, is it where my drums were? And I went, yes. And he goes, then it's okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, it you, th- you would think that writing s- and singing with Ringo and hanging out in the studio would be would be pretty good without <laughs> the floor. But yeah, can't but blame I'm, you. Can't blame you. The floor is
5: a piece of the Beatles. It wasn't just right. being punched. All, all four. Right. <laughs> this was like this is where their stuff was. Mm-hmm. Right there. And I have. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Uh, Mark, we uh we, we love a bunch of stuff that, that Ringo is doing currently, you know, ZP's and his latest yeah. albums. Have you have you kept up with Ringo's uh catalog since your partnership?
5: You know, I do, I do. And his stuff and his stuff is great and he's got all those guys playing on it. But, uh he's never going to be bad in my eyes because he cares mm-hmm. too much. I, you know, as a producer and as a co-writer of his, I, I, I would, I would do th- things a little di- like that edge you were talking about. I would bring that mm-hmm. back if he was mm-hmm. open for it, but right. I love him. I think that, you know, the Diane Warren song, I, I I think, I think he's great. Like I'm a fan. So it's like, I love everything that he does. I want him to keep doing it. He's now got long hair again. It's great. He right. yeah. <laughs> had that
4: hairstyle hairstyle a long time.
5: Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I know. I know. And and it's like, you know, all of his energy. You know, 83 years old, and he's mm-hmm. still in some major ass.
1: That's one of the things that you can't uh, dismiss is all the wonderful hairstylings of all four of them throughout
4: there. I know. I I mean, you know, I I don't, obviously I don't know Ringo, but I've always thought uh, you could tell me if I'm right or not about this. A a lot of it has to do with Ringo's uh, when he became sober in 1988 and went back on tour and, and started really recording again and keep it up with the work and the touring. That's what he what he's always said he loves to do. And that's why he got in the business in the first place to play drums and play with great people. Do you think that's also therapeutic too? As much as it's fun.
5: No question. No question. And I can say that to you as another guy that's sober
4: 21 years,
5: whenever you get to play any kind of music, that's your high. You don't need a pill. You don't need the smoke. You don't need a needle. All of that is in the song. And he loves playing <clears throat> drums.
0: <clears throat>
2: yeah. He loves drumming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you well, can just tell from the enthusiasm that he shows with every tour, every, every tour. start of it, yeah. he's doing yep. it every year. And know, started with the All-Stars, it would be a gap of three years or two years. Now it's every year. Yep. Yeah, he's loving
3: it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's what really struck me when I, you know, when you watch the DVD of, uh, right. uh, you know, the Chronicle, the making of, of Ringo Rama, is just the <laughs> the sheer joy that was in those sessions. I mean, you oh. could just see it that's uh, what I in that.
5: and feel it. And that's mm-hmm. what I mean. I never look back at that with anything other than it was one of the greatest times of my life.
1: Right. Wow. It was one of the funny parts. Was is uh, you see Timothy B. Schmidt, he comes in and does his backing vocal, and then he's done, yeah. and then he just leaves. <laughs> no, he's <it's> gone. <laughs>
5: <It's great>. like, <laughs> it was like that the whole time. People would show up and just do it. Brian Wilson,
4: it's just right. like show up, they do it, and they're gone. Alanis Morissette, right? Yeah, the vertical man.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Steven Tyler, yeah, yeah.
5: and uh, Tom Petty.
0: Yeah. You know, it's excellent.
5: Scott Whelan from uh, Stone Temple, yeah. Mm-hmm. So many great people. Like I guess I'm lucky, pretty lucky.
2: Yeah, can you just briefly talk about you know some of the people that are part of the Roundheads that you don't hear too much about, like Steve Dudas? You've been yeah. with him a long time, haven't you, Steve?
5: Yeah, forever. He was yeah. in the Hunter Brothers band, so I go way back, mm-hmm. you know. And I wanted to have my guys around me for my comfort. And they happened to just love everything about Ringo. And Gary Burr, same mm. thing. A, a co-writer of mine, a great friend of mine. And I just said, you got to come and be in the Roundheads. And I was like, are you kidding? No, come on. Because when we sing together, it's pretty remarkable. And all of that stuff really made it fun. It really became fun. Jim Cox on piano. He's played with everybody from James Taylor to the, you name it, Streisand. And Ringo loved the band. Still getting a guest star like Joe Walsh.
0: Mm-hmm. Still
5: seeing people come in from time to time. Simon Kirk. And all of those guys in in that band were great. In fact, Greg Bissonette, I got him the job with Ringo. Mm. And now he's like the second drummer all the time because he's incredible. And also a Beatle freak and knows every drum fill that Ringo ever played. So, you know, music moves on and we have to be able to let that happen. But in the same time, it stays forever. You know, that's the great part about music. I've met people in my life who hate their parents who hate God, who hate broccoli, who hate the Yankees. It goes on and on and on. I've never met anybody in my lifetime that hates music. Never. It's the one language that we all listen to. Now, you might like rap, you might like heavy metal, you might like jazz, you might like country. It doesn't make any difference the genre that you like. It's still music and that's what's cool. Never. I'm
4: stopping. Thank God for music. Yeah, it's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> you know, I'm bad at math.
5: I'm a good kisser and it's downhill after that. So <laughs> I better stick with the music.
2: Before we go, on the deluxe edition, there are three bonus tracks that were added. No, that's right. I wonder if you could shed some light about those songs. I think okay, okay, I think okay. It's gonna be okay, Ray. Okay, Ray. Blink is another Blink. song. Blink. And I'm home. Yeah, and, and I'm home. Like we wrote that,
5: like I think it was at Ringo's house and it was me, Steve Dudas, and Ringo. And Ringo wanted to have something cool. and And so, uh, like I love the background vocals on that song too. Uh, okay, Ringo, he loved, that to him was sort of just slip out the back, Jack, you know, it's Paul Simon. Make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be curled, just listen to me. Well, that's gonna be okay, Ray. It's gonna, it kind of had a, a similar motif to it. Right. And he loved it for its, he he, he liked it for its Obladi Oblodonis. <laughs> had that sort of feel. Blink, we actually wrote for a film and it just happened to be a, a track that was sitting there that we worked on and put it in. You know, there's some stuff that we've never released. Um, I'm actually trying to do a thing <clears throat> called Demo Days, like D A Z E, and have it be some of our songs that never made it to record, mm. but they are so much fun. Ringo playing cardboard boxes like as drums Uh you know he loved the bootlegs he wasn't complaining like when all the bootlegs of the beatles stuff came out ringo always loved them oh interesting but he loved he loved the bootlegs and i think because of that yeah i think because of that you can get away with releasing stuff that's a little not completely Professional, right? Like,
2: you know, but hey, he's Ringo. Why not? Is there more, <laughs> is there a lot more film footage that exists of the sessions for Ringo Rama that we haven't seen because we've got yes. the documentary?
5: Yes, there's a, there's a there's a bunch there's a whole <laughs> bunch a whole bunch of McCartney's that I have. That's that's good. Yeah. Like we filmed everything. And it's a matter of, I mean, I think Ringo will let it come out when he wants it to, you know, but the Ringo Rama stuff, we had so much fun. And I'm sure it will see the light of day. It's just one of those things that I don't, I never want to cross a line and make Ringo uncomfortable or do something that he wouldn't want me to do. So in this case, when he wants it to come out, I will so share it with you guys.
0: Mm-hmm. Really, right.
5: Thank you. Really good stuff. I promise.
2: <laughs> now, Any last questions? Uh, I think that's great.
4: Thank Wait, you. we covered I wonderful know start. you know so there's I mean there's one question I just felt like bad. I don't know if Susan is still uh, watching, but she asked asked a question. Well, her first question And she just said, she had a question for Mark. She said, uh, I remember the Hudson Brothers song, So You Are a Star. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably your biggest hit. Is it also your favorite Hudson Brothers song?
5: It it is my favorite Hudson Brothers song, but the full circle of that. On my solo album called The Artist, when we were on Dave Gilmore's boat mixing Ringo Rama, he in the back room he had like a drum kit and a piano and i was back there and Ringo went oh that sounds kind of beatily and it was so you are a star and he goes let's do a version for your mom and i went really so he's playing drums i'm like i wish i could actually play you guys something wait because i actually i screwed up Wait, hold on <laughs> Let me see if I can find this. I'm so bad at all this stuff too, so forgive me.
3: Oh no problem. Oh, this ought to be, this ought to be interesting. Wow. So this is. Oh, listen, you Got it. I'm just gonna play.
5: Okay, listen. You'll hear. You'll hear him making fun of me, which is pretty funny.
0: So listen. Oh wait. So no, I'm
5: not gonna think. I'm just gonna
0: play. Trying to, I'm not going to think. I'm just going to play. Here we go. You don't think all week now, you think (laughs) it's
3: having trouble here. Yeah, I don't hear anything.
0: Do
2: the drums uh, We're not really hearing anything. Am I out here again? Yeah, yeah, we heard Ringo,
3: We heard Ringo, you know? we heard Ringo yeah,
2: talking. We, yeah. It's on,
5: on the artist, and I got to re-record that song. Because when the, when the reviews came out for the Hudson, they said, it, it's kinetic pop. It's so much like the Beatles. And all of a sudden, there I am doing that song with the Beatles. So it's like, once again, the Forrest Gump, full circle.
3: One of my famous. So, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was full circle. I'm a, Excellent. I'm a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, nice. Did you mention the Hudson Brothers? I think this would be a good opportunity. I know you posted something on Facebook that you guys are planning to do a concert together.
5: Yeah, we've decided after all this time while the three of us are still on the planet, Hmm. that we should get together and do something. And we're looking at probably October, when it will happen. And we're gonna make it, not gonna be a go-go dancer and a drummer that's too loud. Three guys, piano, guitar, bass, telling the story of everything. And it's gonna be fun so get ready for that and, and they're going to stream it you know whatever it is so any of you hudson brother fans just ask my brother brett
4: <laughs> just, hey, know. The, you know so so says thank you mark for answering uh so awesomely <laughs> you're welcome sir. awesomely
2: okay That's great uh, okay. so not only that, I, I also wanted to point out, I saw that you were in Hamburg, Germany. I just got back. Yeah, and you were part of a Beatles convention there called Come Together.
5: Yes. What was that all about? Earl Slick, Chasm Sultan from Todd Rudgren, sure. and and we, John Lennon, are, but it was the first time I ever got to sing Mother. Wow. Is, yeah, and, and I can actually do it justice. I can do, you know, the screaming is inside of me. And it was the first time I'd ever done it. And I was so happy that I did. Um, And we were in Hamburg and and going places where the Beatles were. Right. You're you're walking on the cobblestones that they walked on. It's all that sort of beatly stuff that we as fans just enjoy. I I didn't speak a word of German. I know, come give me deine Hand because it's I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. Outside of that, my journey <laughs> really suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
5: but we
2: had we had a blast. And and now we're back and we're moving forward. Yeah. And I also saw there's a website for this um for this convention that they have there and they still have the names, the Indra, the Kaiser Keller there. Yeah. Where did where did you play? We d I, I don't know where I was. And oh. I hate to say <laughs> it they say, go stand there and sing.
5: Okay. And I don't know where Brunhilda, the, park, and the I need. I didn't understand anything they were saying to me. Uh-huh. Who flirting? Garden garden garden.
4: Hey. <laughs> okay, sure. Answered with a smile. Are you so about three o'clock? <laughs> yeah, did, you put a, did you put a toilet
1: bowl ring around your neck while you were uh, playing in Germany? No, I didn't want to go that far. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Very <funny. laughs> Oh, there's okay. one thing I wanna I wanna plug here because um, Mark is still working with Gary Burr and yeah. Mark Mirando and they're yeah. part of a tribute band to CSNY, the Ro- the uh, Laurel Canyon band, and they're actually performing this week. If any of you uh, live near Tennessee are going to be at the House in Columbia, Tennessee, uh, this Thursday Thursday night,
5: and it's a beautiful
2: theater. And we're
5: playing the Bluebird uh, on Wednesday, the blue oh. the, Bluebird. That's more of a songwriting thing. But you know the key to it is any of you people that are near Nashville, and I'm not bragging, but we're three really good singers. And when we do those Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young harmonies. I would brag mm. how good it is. You know, no drummer, no go-go dancers, three guitars, a piano, and we just go get it. Mm. And it's having I mean, so much fun. It's not necessarily like, I'm not gonna buy a house doing it, but at this point in my life, I love playing. It's like Ringo, you know, he's 83 and he's still playing. Right. I wanna still play when I'm 83. Mm. Even I'll be in a diaper, but I can still sing.
2: <laughs> and Thank it's you. great to see that you're still active out there doing this gary burr is still out there performing performing Definitely. by georgia middleman she's yep. a songwriter too she's fantastic uh,
0: yeah
2: you're great i know those are the plugs uh-huh.
3: and where can we find uh the information about you a, a website do you have uh where can I we think, find well, all this i think the laurel canyon
0: Laurel
5: Canyon
2: is a website. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I, Gary, has, Gary has his own website. Yes, he has a website with his wife Georgia, yep. and whatever dates he's playing are on there. So yep. if ever the Laurel Canyon Canyon band, then uh, Mark will be with him. Both, yeah, okay. <laughs> and and a Hudson Brother one's going to be
5: showing up pretty soon too. You know, I'm. LaurelCanyonBand.com. LaurelCanyonBand.com.
3: Okay. Excellent. I'll put that in the description. Uh, when put this it is in. Over. Will yes, do. Yeah.
5: It was great talking to you guys. By the way. Thank, oh. you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.
3: And Thank you, Mark.
5: I hope you enjoyed it. it oh,
3: we, we enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us. Your stories were just wonderful and a great way to celebrate Ringo's birthday and Ringo Rama.
5: Yes, and okay. I
2: send you peace and love, and I'll see you around when you bend over. What? <laughs> <laughs> you see, you now you always have a home here. Anytime, yeah. you come on.
3: That's anytime.
2: So anytime yeah. anytime you want to come back. We'll do it again. I'll drink to that. Perfect. <laughs>
3: Cheers. Bye, Thank you, Mark.
4: See you later. Okay, Mark. Right.
3: Thank you, Mark. Wow. Okay. All right, wasn't that fantastic? Wow, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he's still on. Hey, <laughs> hey oh, okay, I think he's there. Oh, oh nope, oh, 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 there there we we oh, there we go. There
4: we go. All right, wow, that was oh. really, that was really wow. fun.
2: That was terrific. Oh,
3: is that fun? Oh so my gosh,
2: stories. I don't know why yeah, he doesn't he write a book. Seriously, yeah, he should yeah.
3: write a book. Good idea, absolutely. Yes, all
2: right, so. So why don't we uh tell everybody what we're doing and uh we'll start with tom well thank you ken and uh and thank you for
1: you know reaching out to uh mark hudson uh for this late yeah. notice and hope. thankfully he was glad to do this but uh for two legs uh two weeks ago we we did our uh we did a um our Eighty first birthday with celebration for MACA with having uh, Luca Prozzi on and we talked about another day, uh, um, a woman, a wise single. Uh, the history of the single and you know how all of that came together so that was a lot of fun we had our woman on the scene i like to call her joan borelli uh back on she had the amazing uh two week uh where, where she or i should say like 10 days wherever where she went to the conan uh mccartney show in, in tribeca then she flew to uh to england uh to see the the, the evolver 63 with mark lewison and then she went to uh Paul McCartney Tributes at the Cavern. And then she bought the, the, the deluxe uh, story or photos book that had McCartney's signature. So she had just a, so wow. a crazy, crazy uh, week. And she told us all about it. And that was amazing. Uh, this past weekend, we, we, we um, actually we're, we, we watched and discussed the, the McCartney special from 1986 that was on BBC uh, way back when. And we, we had a lot of fun doing that. and We'll do more stuff like that in the future uh this this uh upcoming saturday we'll drop our new- newest episode it's going to be called 21 in the 21st century where a fan of ours um uh he suggested that we do you know a double album uh with uh, the best of what we think is the best material or our favorite material i should say of paul's 21st century output so that was a lot of fun and um and a lot more coming up Yeah, so uh, find us on YouTube at Two Legs of Paul McCartney Podcast and uh, please subscribe
4: okay the hits just keep on coming from Two yes Legs. they do yeah. huh. Joe? as usual I don't have much to say but this time I'm going to read off some of my videos over at my channel Mean Mr. Mayo you got stuff like my record cabinet broke you know you could see that adventure my record cabinet <laughs> broke I have another video <laughs> where I sh- I showed some uh, picture sleeves, Beatles picture sleeves you might be interested in. Uh, flea Market, ha- hanging around there and browsing around. Two weeks ago, we did a Fab Gab show. Kid O'Toole was one of the guests on there. Where we discussed the the new Beatles song, or what we think is you know, speculation. All speculation, what we know so far, what Paul has said, you know, Ringo, what everyone has said. And... I yeah, and, uh, they, and uh, you know, other stuff to sorted stuff over at Mean Mr. Mayo on YouTube.
2: Okay, that's it. I gotta do more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get to Kit, um, I was on vacation for almost a month. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, yeah. that's the shortest one ever Uh, (laughs) um, i'm back with a a new trivia question on my website kenmichaelsradio.com as always you can win one of 10 prizes on there um books cds dvds you name it things we said today my other podcast show with darren DeVivo and alan cozen we will have a new show coming out probably this week it'll be some kind of a tribute for ringo and um There'll be new shows coming on my YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, probably this week. So I'm getting back in the swing of things. I had a very exciting time in Hawaii with my wife for a couple of weeks. And um, if you're a Todd Rundgren fan, I know Mark Hudson mentioned him before because of Chasm Sultan, who's the bass player um, in Todd's band and also in Utopia. Um, I attended something called Todd Stock which is something that Todd Rungman does periodically ever since he turned 60 years old. um, He gets together with his fans for about a week and they hang out together and some of the uh, fans are musicians, amateur and professional. They jam at night. Todd watches them, sometimes jams with them. There's any kind of different types of activities that could happen and this particular year he did a repeat of what he did in the first year of Todd's Stock, which was he had it held Well, in Kauai where he lives and we all got to spend some time in his home, which is really cool. How many rock stars Mm. do that? But (laughs) um, I had an amazing time uh, this last month or so with my wife and now just um, getting back into the swing of things. So uh, hopefully there'll be some new stuff coming out this week. and, um, And don't forget every little thing, my syndicated radio show. Uh, you can hear every single week as it's on demand. Um, and uh, and that's about it.
3: <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I spent a few days in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin last week. It was lovely. <laughs> that's fine <laughs> it was lovely uh anyway um so, yeah not not hawaii though um so first of all you can find us of course uh here at talk more talk right on this channel and please hit that subscribe button tell your friends tell your neighbors tell your enemies uh tell your friends everybody uh we're trying to get those numbers up so uh up, up, please up up, up 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 so please uh <laughs> let uh get uh please hit that uh, hit that subscribe button hit that like button um also uh you can find us of course on facebook and uh if you hit the like button there you'll be notified of upcoming episodes and uh news and all kinds of stuff, uh, the shenanigans that we're up to uh, individually. You can also uh, find us on Twitter at TalkMoreTalk1, the number one. Uh, also our website, TalkMoreTalk.com. Um, and you can email us at talk.com or at, at Gmail.com, sorry, uh, where you can uh, send us uh, feedback if you have topic ideas that uh, you might like uh, to see us come cover uh let us know that as well we love to hear from you uh so i guess that's everything there Uh, as far as i go i'm pretty psyched because tomorrow uh july 11th i'm going to be doing another tuesday night record club where we're going to be discussing michael jackson's thriller so uh i'm i'm pretty psyched uh as you can imagine (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, so, joining our good buddy uh, Ken Walmack, uh, he invited me back on uh, on his show. We're going to be going into the making of the album, the demos. Um, I mean, I'm going to be taking you deep into this album. You're going to hear it like you've never heard it before. Um, and so, uh, that is tomorrow night. There's still time to register. It is absolutely free. It's 7:30 p.m. Eastern. So I hope to see you there. It is going to be a fun fun night. You're going to see me geek out. So, yeah. you don't uh, want to miss it. Come, come on. Through. Nikki's looking forward, Nikki's looking forward to it. That's right. Tell her to get if ready. I've got I've yeah. got some I've got stuff ready. I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is my time to shine, okay? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> also, uh, just out today, uh, my latest course, um, and it's going to be actually a four-part series uh, on the British Invasion. I'm really excited to, to be uh, teaching this. Part one. That's well, yes, the, the British Invasion. invasion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, you know what that is. And uh, I'm going to be covering it from its earliest beginnings through the 1980s. And so part one starts in September. Yeah, part one starts in September. These are the kind of the roots, uh, you know, the earliest beginnings of it in England and the formation of the Mersey Beat. So it will be uh, two classes. So I uh, am putting up the registration uh, probably after this show on my page, Facebook page, on the Talk More Talk page. Um, And so registration is open. So I will... uh, post all that info for you so it'll be a great course so uh so i sent nikki and others an email so she she knows about this probably already um so anyway hope but uh, to see you all there it'll be fun fun course i'm really looking forward to it so i think that's everything right now
2: all right kit well this has been tremendous what an honor it was yeah. Yeah. It's my show. favorite
3: my favorite show Yep.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> right, now. <laughs> yep. Get, uh, Mark on again and other members of the rest. They're always welcome here. Anyone that's worked with any of the Beatles uh, of course. in their solo careers and as a group, they're welcome here. Um, thanks so much to all of you uh, for joining us for this special edition, where we talked about Ringo Rama celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care. Emphas in your mind. (laughs) Happy birthday, Ringo. Rock and roll.